Well, good morning, FCC. We're so glad to be back with you again. Thanks for coming out and joining us, worshiping with us, and learning a little bit more about who our God is and what his plans are for you in our life. Uh, I'm excited about this series that we've been in, uh, Choose This, Not That. And we've been journeying together and looking at ways in which God's been telling us that there's a better way to live, that there's a better way to think, there's a better way to be. And uh, I'm excited about uh, today's special message because I think today we're talking about something that, um, it's one of those that snakes up on you. I don't even know if you realize how bad you have it until it's almost like it's too late. Uh, There's something that's pervasive in our culture. I think it's in all cultures, but specifically in America, specifically where we live, the community we're in. Uh, the socio-demographic in which we are, uh, I think that this is one of those pervasive issues that attacks all of us. Um, and it's something that we have a hard time overcoming. Um, and, and I'll start out with this question. And it would be, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? Like, like when is it enough to, to have? When is it enough to hold? What is it enough to get? Do you have enough stuff? Do you need more? Do you need more money? Do you need more health and wealth? Is when is enough enough? How do you know when you're full? How do you know when you're done? How do you know when you've got enough stuff? How do you know when enough is enough? Um, I was thinking about um, this, this phrase, it's called the, um, it's called the Prater-Velli Syndrome. Prater-Velli Syndrome. It's actual syndrome, it's, it's a pretty sad one actually. Uh, it kind of takes place in kiddos when they're about two years of age. Um, and and uh, it's, it's pretty rare, but uh, it takes place in such a way that the, the, these poor kids, they grow up with the inability to know when they're full. So, so they'll eat and eat and eat, and they'll never know that they're actually full. And so they go through life with this syndrome. They try to take medicine to know it. They have to like almost measure their food out so they know how much they're actually eating and when they've reached their max because otherwise their body doesn't tell them you've had enough to eat. And now I've, I've had some uh, peanut butter cookies that have made me feel similar, right? But, but, but at the end of the day, like this is actually a pretty messed up, pretty serious thing. This is a, a bad thing to go through. I mean, imagine going through life where you just you're eating and you never know it. You always feel hungry. I mean, that would be something very, very sad. And I, I think for us, though, we can really relate to it. Maybe it's not with food, but I think it's with, with stuff, with money. I mean, has anybody else had that, like, you can see the buy it now button, like, on Amazon? Like, you, you see that and, it, like, it's, like, speaking to you. Like, you, like, look at it and it's just, like, click it. Just just click it. It'll be fine. Just buy it. Like there's, there's something about it that's pervasive in us that just makes us want to have more. And, and, and we're discontent until we do. It's like, and then you buy something new, something shiny and flashy and new, and you're excited for a little bit. And then it eventually becomes old and worn out as well. And then you're no longer happy and you find yourself wanting more again. And so to give you an idea of just how bad this is to like wake us up to this aroma of uh, not knowing when enough is enough, I want to kind of break us down through this question here of, of when we have enough. Now think about this, this is what's, uh, some stats of what we currently possess about us. 300,000 items is the average amount of items in the average home here in America. 300,000 individual items. Uh, We have homes that are three times larger than what they were back in the 1950s. We now have homes that are huge compared to what things used to be. 
Uh, 25% of us, and I think that's a low number, have no room for the car in the garage. Anyway, ooh, that hit some. I could just feel it. I saw some of the wife with the elbows. I just saw that. So, yeah, yeah, I know. I saw it. Yeah, let's be nice, right? Be nice. This one hits close to home. My wife is going to, like, elbow me over this one. 238 is the number of total toys the average 10-year-old has. 238 toys. And I did this one just to win an argument, so y'all forgive me that sometimes you just got to do that. Uh, 30 outfits is the average for each woman. Now, listen, I'm just saying, it was what was in the stats. I, I listen, I just, I, don't blame the messenger. It's just, that's all, that's all I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, like, half the room hates me now. All right, so, um, but honestly, like, here in America, 1.9% of our income, of all the things we have. Only 1.9% of our income is actually given to charities, Christian organizations, churches, like just, just a, a little bit. That's kind of the way we operate. That's kind of the way we think. That's what's normal. And I think there's a better way to live. I think God wants more for us than to be chasing after these things. I think it's good for us to assess and say, you know, maybe we do have an issue. Maybe we do have an issue with having too much stuff. Maybe we are actually kind of controlled by it. And man, let's be fair, like it's constantly hitting us from every angle and every advertisement, everywhere we look, that they're chasing after this. And it seems like everywhere you turn, someone wants your money. And it's a battle. But what if today, what if we could choose contentment and not greed? And you know, and greed just means like this um, abnormal desire to have something that is not yours. It's this, this pervasive desire that is, is chasing after other things. And what if we could have contentment? What if we could be satisfied and enjoy with what we have and what God has given us and no longer be chasing after the rest of the world, chasing after stuff? So in this series, Choose This, Choose That, we, we've been, uh, Choose This, Not That, is, is this idea of, you know, choosing encouragement, right, and instead of choosing gossip, and, and it's, it's choosing to be showing grace rather than judgment, choosing to have purpose and not pointless, right, right, we've been walking through this, this idea and concept that, man, maybe there's a way that we can live in freedom and not slavery, and today I want to challenge us to choose contentment and not greed. All right, to do this, I want to go to a guy who, who really understood the concept of what it looked like to have a lot of stuff, to be well off, to be admired and looked upon as the elite of elite in his culture and society. I want us to look at somebody who had that and then also had nothing and, and yet found contentment through it all. All right, if you are a Christian or been a Christian for a while, um, there is a passage I'm getting ready to share with you that you have on a coffee mug somewhere in your home. You have it on a placard. You have it somewhere. You know this verse. Even if you didn't grow up in Christianity, you heard somebody somewhere quote this. I guarantee it. Philippians 4.13. Anybody? Is anybody Philippians 4.13? Yeah, familiar with this one? All right, so... For I can do all things through Christ who, who gives me strength or, or strengthens me, depending on the version. Okay, so uh, this was Paul writing this letter, and, and this is one of the most misquoted passages of uh, all time uh, because it's not really in context to what Paul is getting after. So there's actually a, a bigger picture goal that Paul was trying to talk about uh, specifically of like, this is a battle that's going to take you going through Christ to overcome it. Like, but, but it can be overcome. That's his point. 
So, so let's go to what's happening here. So Paul is talking to a, a church in Philippi. This is like modern day Greece. He's talking to this, these folks there and they're like us in, in the fact that they want more things and there's, they, they want good things and they want more health and they want more wealth. They want more freedom. They want more ability to do things and they're not content. All right, so he's writing to these folks and trying to help them know that there is something powerful that they can find in Christ. There's something they can learn. So this is the way it kind of gets going here. In verse 10, it says this, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. Like this is a group of people that was concerned about Paul. They heard about Paul's journeys. Paul was a, uh, was like a missionary preaching, uh, letter writing follower of Jesus. He went and helped plant churches, help churches get going. He was uh, an eyewitness of God who encountered him on the road to Damascus and sent him off on a journey. And so uh, he was going around sharing the good news of Jesus and bad things were happening to him. He was being enslaved, imprisoned. He was writing this while he was in prison. So that's why they were worried about him. He said, I know that you've been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. They, they gave him a gift, but they, didn't really, they couldn't really help him. He's in prison. And see, Paul understood uh, what they were trying to do because uh, they had heard about what Paul had been through. Now, Paul was considered an elite of elite and, and known within his community. He was the, the Jew of Jews. He was like a lawyer of the law. He was somebody who was well off. He, he hung out with this lady named Lydia who had fine linens and cult. Like, he knew what it was like to be in really good shape, but he also knew what it was like to really suffer. Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians, in a, in a letter written to the church of Corinth, he said it this way. He said, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That means they, they beat him to an inch of his life five different times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Not your college version or Colorado version. Like this was like rocks. Like some of y'all get it. It's cool. Uh, so three times he was shipwrecked and he had many long journeys where people were trying to kill him. And then even now, he was writing, being enslaved. So it's like, all right, if we want to hear from somebody who, like, if this guy can be content despite all of those beatings and enslaved and people trying to kill him, maybe he's got something for us to know. And this is what he told them, and he's telling us through the Holy Spirit today. He says this, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned. Everybody say learned. All right, good. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Like, this is something he acquired over, this is something he learned. Like, he, he, he learned how to be content with whatever he had. He goes on. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He knew how to, to be wealthy and to have nothing. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Do you see the power of the context in that? Like he's saying, like, so he was like, I know what it's like to have 
plenty to eat. I know what it's like to have the filet mignon with Bernays. Like, I know what it's like to be able to eat until I'm stuffed, and I know what it's like to be thirsty and hungry and have nothing to eat or drink. I know what it was like to be beaten, and I know what it was like to be healthy. I knew what it was like in each of these situations, and I knew what it was like as I learned the way to be content no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. And so you're like, okay, so... He learned how to not let circumstances control his contentment. Like, like he could have contentment beyond his circumstances. That the things in which was attacking him and, and, and chasing after him in his life didn't have to be what controlled his mood, what controlled his joy, what controlled his life. He learned the secret to being content. So maybe you're going, all right, I, I mean, I would love to be content. Like, I would love to not be chasing after these things and for it to be owning me. I would love for that not to be the case. And so, so how, how do I do that? How do I, how do I learn this? And he kind of shares it in this way. How, how do I learn to be content? Uh, how do I learn contentment? And he says, learning about contentment, you can, learning, you can do it by learning about contentment, or, and you can learn it by going through it. All right, so you can learn about contentment, like what we're doing right now. We're learning about what contentment looks like. That's by reading God's word. It's by studying God's word. Did you know that if you, if you have a 15-minute drive getting back to forth to work, or just 15 minutes in your day, that you could turn on the audio version of the Bible while you're driving down the road doing nothing else, all right, while you're just driving down the road, 15 minutes a day, that by the end of September, you could have read the entire New Testament. Like, we're talking about knowing God's word, like hearing and learning about it. Like, you can learn about contentment, and that can help you learn how to be content, that God can speak through his holy word, through his Holy Spirit, into your life to remind you when there's times where you're feeling hungry for things you shouldn't hunger for, to remind you to be content in what God's provided for you already. And the other thing is by going through it. Now, now this is one of those, it's like sometimes some of us, we can't learn this until we're flat on our back and we have no other option but to look up. Like some of us in this room, we've been there. If you live long enough, you'll bleed, right? So, so like you've, you've lived long enough to be in those situations where you've known what it was like to have nothing else. The only thing you can do is cling to Christ. And you can learn by going through it as well. But we, we don't want that to be the case. Right? We want to learn by, by knowing about it. Like you want to learn by like, like Paul when he was thinking about like learning about it. He was thinking about passages like in Habakkuk where this, this prophet, this guy who was a truth-speaking, truth-teller, warning people about what was to come, but even the secret of contentment. Look at this. This is something you'd be studying about. If you were studying scripture, this is Habakkuk in verse 3, 17 through 18. It says this. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Wouldn't you love that? Wouldn't you love to be able to walk through life and even when the bad news comes, you can go, that's not robbing my joy. Wouldn't it be awesome to go through life and not to be so drawn by that next major vaca- vacation or you're comparing your life to those on Instagram or, and you're looking at the way in which they live and they didn't own you? Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to walk through life and not have those things driving your joy or consuming or taking it away? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could actually choose contentment 
and not greed? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if that's actually the way we could make this happen? So, so what I want to do today is, is I, I wanted to share with you, as I had in the last couple of weeks, um, a way this looks practical. Like, the way this actually comes to light. Like, okay, so, uh, so I understand. So study the Bible. Okay, got it. That's cool. I can try to work on that. And you're like, but going through it, like, what does that mean? What does this actually look like for God to change you? Like, who you are, the battles you have, and actually make something new out of you. How can God take that which you have been burdened by your whole life and then slowly through the love and changing of Christ can change you and turn you into someone who lives in contentment? To do that, I actually want to bring out a special guest to talk about this with me. And uh, if you don't recognize her, I'll introduce her to you. Uh, this is uh, somebody who is very special to me. Uh, this is my wife, Stephanie. Would you welcome my wife to the stage? So um, Stephanie and I have been together, you can come up here, sweetie. We've been together for 21 years, since we were 16 years old, uh, we've been together, we've been, uh, we've been ma- married now for 16 years. Mm-hmm. I looked at her to make sure I get these dates right, so she will correct me on those things. In fact, if you ever want to know if I mess up on a detail when I'm preaching, just look to her and she'll either nod or go like this, and she'll, she'll let you know. So uh, anyways, have a sweet seat, sweetie. Um, well, listen, I-, I wanted to share a little bit of, uh, let me grab my... Uh, little clicker here. Um, I want to share a little bit about um, our journey and specifically about what I got to witness happen to you and through you. Um, and, and kind of um, what was unique in our relationship is kind of when we first met, I uh, wasn't really following God. Um, well, Jesus wasn't somebody who we were following. And, um, and so the, the battles that we were raging in life uh, was something that was um, common. Um, it was a battle that was pretty familiar to us, and it was something that, um, if we're honest, um, owned us in a lot of ways. So, uh, Steph, uh, describe for me a little bit, kind of, uh, what were some of the, the major battles of your life, like, before Jesus? Like, what were some of the things that really owned you? Um, vanity was a really big one for me, and being selfish. Yeah. And even selfishness is still something that is a daily battle for me. Yeah. And I think we can relate to that. Um, I, I think that uh, vanity specifically, I, I remember, um, you know, that was a, a legit battle. Um, that was things that like, um, I mean, we joke about, you know, being late in the morning and things, but at one yes. time, I mean, it was... I would spend hours getting ready in the morning. Did you hear that? That was plural, people. Because, I, yes, because I would find my self-worth in, through other people instead of in, through God. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I remember like, you know, having to get like, she was, she was not one you would find on like the Walmartians, like where they go to Walmart, like wearing like PJs and stuff. Like, no, <laughs> like, like, like she would be like dressed up nice, like you're looking all good going through Walmart. I'm like, it's Walmart, look around. Like, but I mean, it was, an, it was a legit battle. Like it was an honest, legit battle that, mm-hmm. that really robbed her joy. Um, it was a, a sincere fight. And so, um, you know, not only was that a fight, but the selfishness was, for us, we were very, very wealthy quickly. Um, so I had a very good paying job in my 20s before I had um, <laughs> went into ministry. And uh, so, uh, whatever that implies. So, the, but, but I, I, like very quickly, like we're, we're 25 years old and we're buying a nearly new, um, like a few years old Corvette. We're going on vacations to Maui. 
Um, we uh, bought a, at 25, a 20, younger than that even, 23, 24 years old, we, mm-hmm. we bought a brand new custom home, yeah. uh, 2,500 square feet with a walkout basement at the end of a cul-de-sac with a stone front. Like, like this is the life that we were living. So when it comes to greed, selfishness, and vanity, like we were in it. I was working in a corporate world where they, they could tell the name brand of your shoes. As a guy, when you walked in, they're like, we can tell which one of those you I was like, whoa, what is that? Like, like that's what we were living in. And so when we actually began to be, uh, start a relationship with Jesus and living for him, things had to change. We had to start making moves and changes for us to be able to go into ministry together. And that meant we had to leave some of the things that we once um, chased after. And so this was one that uh, I always like showing this photo. There's lots of different ways that makes happen. But Stephanie, when you see uh, this photo, what, tell us about what happened in this photo here. <clears throat> so that is me standing next to our beautiful... T-top type. Daytona Sunset, Daytona Orange Metallica, Florida yes. Horsepower. Go ahead. Yes, Corvette. And then um, this was my daily driver, by the way. And by the way, this was his, his idea, not mine. This was his idea. Um, and then the white car was the car I was driving after the Corvette. Yeah, so, yeah. so basically what happened was we said, okay, we've, we've got to start making choices for the Lord, and, and we got to get debt-free, and we got to start changing the way in which we're living to be prepared to be able to do what God's calling us to do. We got to start spending money different. So I was like, so we're going to take you from this Corvette to a sedan, and uh, one with the basic options of everything. And yes. uh, tell them what happened when you were driving home in that car. Um, about a week later, I'm driving home from work, and when I call him, I just, I don't even tell him why, I just start bawling my eyes out. Um, all the way home from work because I hated my car. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a legit thing. It so she calls me, it. calls me wailing I mean, on the phone. I'm like uh, at a hotel somewhere. She calls me wailing. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I hate my car. And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> right? But I mean, it's a legit battle. Like it was like <laughs> trying to overcome this stuff is like a fight. Like to go from like chasing after these things to realize that's not the point in life is a big deal. So this was uh, our uh, home that we had custom built that we were at when we had to go in and when, when, we, when I chose to uh, quit my job, lost the company vehicle and all that stuff, we ended up having to move from, from this home, in, from, which is about 2,500 square feet, um, to uh, a about 875 square foot 1950s rancher. So that ended up being a home that was kind of like this. Uh, this was it. Uh, this is where we're at. And so tell them about that battle. So I was extremely thrilled that he was willing to leave all of everything behind to start into ministry because that was something he was very passionate about. I felt like that was his calling, and I was thrilled over the fact that we were making this position or making this decision to move out of our house, sell everything, and and start our life in ministry. Um, But again going from what we had, the space and the house and everything, and moving into a much smaller space. And we had a baby at the time, um, and we had one vehicle at the time. It was, it was very eye-opening and, and very difficult for me to accept that part of it. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. I mean, put it this way, when it, there was a breeze outside, you could tell inside. Uh, it, was, it was one of those scenarios, right? And, and uh, so for us, uh, t- talk a little bit about um, kind of what helped us begin to shift, begin to prepare us for what God had ahead of us and kind of the way in which he um, began to uh, help us learn contentment. 
Um, well, just being in his word every day, um, I uh, took a discipleship class and I also led a discipleship class. And God just started to change my heart, change my mind, change my perspective on everything. And, you know, we actually had most of our happiest memories in that house. And we learned that we didn't need any of that other stuff, that we were just as happy being in a smaller home, not having hardly anything, living on one income, not knowing what the next month was going to hold or what God had in store for us. But um, we were happiest when we didn't have as much, when we had very little, we were happiest. It was the craziest thing to go through that. We also went on this mission trip to, to Haiti. We and, did, we went to Haiti. And yeah, so tell them about when you came home from that trip and seeing what it actually looked like to, to have poverty. So after we spent a week in Haiti with people that had literally nothing, um, and they had such a strong love for Jesus, and they didn't need anything. When we came home, I walked through our door of our house in tears because of the reality of everything that we had, our big comfy bed, a roof over our head, clean water that we didn't have to be afraid to drink like we did there in Haiti. And it was just eye-opening and heartbreaking just to realize that the people in Haiti didn't need anything all they needed was Jesus, and that's all we need. And so God began to help us learn. Like, he began to, to start chipping away at things that have been built so deep in us for our whole life. I mean, so coming from some of the, so wealth and chasing after those things, he began to show us there's another way. And uh, that we didn't know necessarily why. Uh, we thought that was just to be a ministry, but we, actually there was another thing coming that was going to really drive us to figure out, can we actually have joy and contentment in Christ no matter the circumstance. And so, Steph, uh, this was just a couple years ago, um, October of, uh, let's see, October 18th of 2019. Uh, this is Sherry Percival and you holding, and you guys were weeping together with our son Isaac watching. Um, tell us what happened there about two days before that. So two days before that, um, I was diagnosed with stage three um, inflammatory breast cancer just three days before that. And... This was a moment when our whole world was turned upside down. So we, we've been serving Jesus at this point. I've been a pastor at the church, been serving God uh, for several years. Um, my mom had been through breast cancer, and um, you know God had been doing some amazing things. And then all of a sudden, our world just got turned upside down. And for me, I, I, I battled sincerely um, through that. In fact, um, I, it was one of those things where I'd counseled and worked with people who maybe had bad diagnoses and struggles, and I knew the truth of God. I remember studying about God and knows what he said in his word about overcoming and that you can, he can do all things, through, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens. I knew these things, but when it practically came to the moment, did I actually believe them? The two greatest moments in my life um, was one, uh, the number one thing, actually, I'd say this way, is, is watching my wife fall in love with Jesus. The, the way in which it changed her. Because, guys, I'm, I'm not joking on this. What took place over the next, literally it was 48 hours from this, this photo. We go in and we meet with a doctor, Dr. Hatmaker. Um, and, uh, and when she walks in, what the doctor had to say about her rocked my world. They looked at her, who had just been diagnosed with breast cancer, and they said, honey, you are shining. 
what is different about you? She sees people every day that's going through this battle, and then they see her like this. So why? Um, so when I got diagnosed, um, and our world was turned upside down, and we were numb for like two weeks, um, I decided that I wasn't going to let my cancer diagnosis define me, um, that I was going to do my best to show people who Jesus was in the midst of that, because I knew that God had a plan, and I knew that somehow somebody was either going to come to know Christ or they were going to, you know, maybe get closer to Christ because of it. And I was willing to make that my mission for people um, to see him through what I was going through. Yeah. So we actually had a blast. Uh, the chemo, you see her doubled over laughing with some Sour Patch Kids in the corner. You can t- I still see that. Um, <laughs> we, we turned it into, like, do let's, like, we first time we walked through the chemo ward, we walked through there, and I'll be honest with you, it felt like death row. We were just broken as I walked through. I was distraught. And, but she carried me. I mean, look, they hired me to get to her. Trust me. Like, like it was just, like, so special that, this girl, like, she'd walk in, like, no kidding. So you see how, like, ugly I look with bald head? Like, hang tight, I'll be there soon. Like, um, but, like, like, we would walk into these, these like, seriously, these facilities and walk in to check in. And they would look at her and they look at me and they look at me and they say, um, so are you checking in today? <laughs> and I'm going, no, it's her. And they were like, oh, she's the one that's sick? And I was like... Yeah, and they're like, I thought it was you. And I'm like, dad, go on. Like, like, that's just the power of Christ in her. It's just that they would walk in the room and they would go, what's different about you? And they didn't want to look at me that way. They looked at me and they're like, oh, he's sick. Like, that's the way, right? Well, I got to cover my head, so. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. But, but there, there's just power in what Christ can do. And taking those of us who are just driven by whether it's your health or your wealth, and slowly but surely chip away to help you see that in Christ, it's possible. I want to share this one last photo here of you. uh, There's my girl. So tell us what was going on there and kind of the latest on you and this diagnosis. So this was um, when I had my last and final cancer treatments. Um, and that was just the excitement on my face from uh, a year-long battle of cancer treatments. And um, I can happily say that um, it's a little over two years um, that I've been cancer-free now. Yeah, so, amen. Yeah. We were determined to make the best of the situation. We were. We were, and and, you know, it it can be learned. Like, God can change you in that way. And listen, if I could tell you in this way, as as we come to a close here, um, the the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that you follow him and suddenly 
all your problems go away. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that if you follow him, you come to church and you pray more and you read the Bible more, that suddenly things in life will start getting a little better, that the circumstances will suddenly start turning in your favor. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that you get him, and he's enough no matter the circumstance. You get him. You get to walk with Jesus who loves you, who died for you and who gives you strength that you can't explain, even in the toughest of times. If I challenge you with one more passage as we close. Author of Hebrews says it this way. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you have uh, provided a, a very real way to show us that God, even in the midst of the toughest of circumstances where fear and pain may be present, where it could be cancer or it could be a diagnosis of another form or if it could be just our finances, the change of jobs and rough situations that may come, that, God, we can find our joy and contentment not in the circumstance, but in you, our Christ, that you can be our Messiah, our Savior, even when you don't take us out of a circumstance, but you're with us through it. That God, as we were in the fires and the flame, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God, that there was one more in the fire. That God, we can know that your presence is with us, no matter the pain. So God, I challenge us, Lord, that maybe now we would commit to you and we would spend the next few moments that we would be praying and considering what it would look like to serve you and worship you, to learn contentment in you, And it chooses to not let these things of this world rob us any longer. It can all be done through you, Jesus. And it's in you that we pray. Amen.